Me a judge, or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet, God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? You of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, good morning again, everyone. Now, as you have probably heard, I think Liz mentioned it before, uh, my title today is Better Than Worrying. And I have to say, it seems a pretty relevant title. For what have we gone through in the last two years to cause us to worry? Well, I'm sure you don't need me to tell you. A global pandemic that has killed six million worldwide, that felt like a threat to us all. Certainly in the first year or so, the very real risk of catching the virus and actually being seriously ill, as well as the risk of passing it on to those more vulnerable than ourselves. We've had the real risk of deep recession and huge unemployment. 
We've had a mental health epidemic, epidemic as the lockdown screwed up most of our heads. And now to top it all, a European war, a huge cost of living crisis, and the possibility of many millions being displaced and some killed as well. But now here's the silver lining of those very substantial clouds. It has at least brought a new clarity to what's truly important. First, from the pandemic, we learned through the restrictions and what they stopped us doing, what truly matters, people and community. Being able to spend time with loved ones, the pain that we had in not being able to do that has reminded us how precious and important that is. And caring for those in need as people have looked after their neighbours and those that they know about who were on their own and needed help. And we've learned to appreciate in a new way, haven't we, gathering in community, tackling the loneliness and isolation that many of us felt through those difficult times. And then through this awful crisis in Ukraine, we've learned that it truly matters that good triumphs over evil and that freedom from oppression prevails. It's brought out the Democrat in all of us. It's brought a backbone and unity to the Western world that has been missing uh, for so long. And suddenly it's brought in us a willingness to be moved by the plight of the Ukrainians and to endure sacrifice to support them. In short, we're different people in a different country, living in a different world, with huge challenges facing us, of course, but also great opportunities for the kingdom of God. Am I right? Yeah, okay. Well, I think I am. And if I am, well, this passage has so much to say that can reinforce that clarity, that can strengthen our resolve and point us to a freedom from selfishness, from apathy, and from money-orientated anxiety that is a much-needed help and reset for us all. But I should say that despite the title, this is not a sermon on, on how to avoid all anxiety. That's a completely different topic needing a different approach. But as is reflected in the passage, it is a sermon on how knowing what truly matters can set us free and can give us far greater purpose and peace. So I believe it's relevant to us all offering hope and perspective in these troubled times. So let me pray for us as we really get into the passage now. Father God, would you speak to us through Jesus' words? Words that challenge, but also words that inspire. And may you have your way in us through what we hear and through how we respond today. Amen. Okay, on with the sermon. And as we saw in the video, uh, well, we saw and we heard all oh, but the last, the first verse, and I'll read that to you just so you know what you missed. Jesus is addressing a crowd. Before a man in the crowd interjects, and, and this was the bit we didn't hear, he said this, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Which Jesus then uses as a springboard into one of the most sustained pieces of teaching on money 
and purpose for living that the Bible contains. And that was where the passage kicked in. So much so that I have to say for our comfortable Western materialistic culture, this really is where the rubber hits the road. Now, did Jesus know that man was going to answer the, ask the question? Well, the passage doesn't tell us. But what we do know is Jesus often uh, responded to what was said in a way that clearly showed uh, that God was giving him the words to say, that God knitted it all together. And Jesus knew, too, that rabbis were often asked to adjudicate in family disputes. However, what we can certainly assume, because of the way that he answers and the way that Jesus responds to everyone, is that he can see into this man's heart, just as he can see into ours. And we know that from the way he redirects the man's focus to his underlying problem, his preoccupation with wealth, which he knows is a problem for virtually everyone listening, as of course it is for us today. So Jesus proceeds to address that preoccupation head-on by addressing two opposite scenarios that we can struggle with that preoccupation in. The first, that of abundance and prosperity. And the second, that of insecurity, scarcity, and fear. And the first, as we heard, he does through a parable. And the second, he does through some direct teaching. And I'm going to use those two parts, those two Uh, aspects to structure my sermon into two halves. The first, a message of challenge, and the second, a message of comfort to give us the peace and perspective we need. So first, the parable, and I must admit, I don't know about you, but it hit me looking at this passage in the week that Shane Warne died. A man who had everything, not just great wealth, I'm sure, but huge admiration, fame, and popularity too. A national hero, absolute national hero in his own country. And a revered and legendary figure throughout the rest of the cricket playing world. Indeed, many are saying the greatest bowler there ever was. And yet he was snatched from us completely unexpectedly at the age of just 52. But even in the modern era of medical science, life is still fragile And transitory, we simply don't know when our lives may end. And certainly in this county in England, the other features of the parable can be equally relevant, which we can see by simply translating the details of it into our own place and time. For example, let me retell the story like this. An individual man, or it could equally be a woman, was doing very well at work. Having joined as a graduate, they rose quickly through the ranks, becoming, directors, uh, becoming a director after 13 years. This brought them a huge increase in salary, plus some very generous share options. They took up the shares and, having got married and had a couple of children, bought their first large family home in a fashionable part of the town. But they continued to give everything they could to help the company and their department succeed. The company grew massively. The share price went up and they got promoted again with yet another big increase in salary and this time access to vast bonuses too. So, already happy with their family home, they got a financial advisor to help them make the most of their wealth. 
That led to a series of investments in a holiday home abroad, uh, investment in a couple of hedge funds, bought a classic sports car, a couple of buy-to-let properties as investments for the children, and private education for the kids. Now, told like that, it sounds entirely normal. It's not the life all of us or many of us even lived, but we know plenty of people do, certainly in a place like this. So what's missing from the story or the one that Jesus told? Well, it's got to be this. The complete absence of concern for anyone other than themselves or their family, which is really an extension of themselves. Whether it's those in need around them in their community or indeed the wider world. Or God himself. And Jesus is making the point that such a person is failing to recognize the very reason we've been put into this world. The call that God has placed on all of mankind, which is to play our part in building God's kingdom here on earth, on caring for our neighbors, and that that is the most rewarding purpose for life that we can have. And actually such a person is also missing out on their place in God's kingdom eternally in heaven, the reward for all those who put Jesus first in their lives. For that is the bar Jesus sets for what a Christian actually is. And you'll remember his words just a few chapters earlier in Luke, where he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Words not so much about martyrdom, although That was a reality for some of the disciples, many of them, as we know. Rather, it's about submission and who is Lord of our lives. The fool is the one who lives without this heavenly perspective and so misses out both this side and the other side of the grave. As Jesus concludes in verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Words that shouldn't just challenge unbelievers, but also believers tempted to live for ourselves in all but name. But don't be misled. Living out the lessons of this parable is not simply about religious observance, about turning up for church or or calling ourselves Christians. It's about submitting our resources, our treasure, that is our finances, our time, our talents, the gifts and skills that we have to God's priorities and not just our own. So that does mean if we're not giving generously, if we're not getting involved in serving, if we're not playing our part in helping the church to run and to thrive, well, we're falling short. For Jesus knows the kingdom only grows when God's people give sacrificially. And we all have a part to play as our health and our circumstances permit however much or little we may have. So that's the first half of the passage. The scenario of the second is altogether different, being poverty or at least financial insecurity. And again, that's a familiar situation to many of us. But this time it's set explicitly in the context of faith. It's addressed addressed to followers of Jesus. But the underlying message of generosity and kingdom-mindedness is the same 
as that first half, as Jesus' opening words make clear. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And it's this bigger, higher purpose for living that is the key to avoiding worry, at least in the way that Jesus is addressing in this passage. For I don't see it so much as a command, which I think is the way that we tend to read it, which we struggle with. It's not a command, do not worry, as if this is something that we can simply cut out through willpower alone. Many of us will know that it doesn't work like that. But rather I see it more as a consequence. When we make a worldview shift and our priorities shift first, then worrying will stop, at least worrying about these kinds of things, because we're holding them so much more lightly. Now, that worldview shift was actually implied in Lizzie's sermon and our life group studies this week in Jesus' teaching on prayer. For what comes before give us each day our daily bread? It's the submission of our will and our priorities in the word to God's, in the words, your kingdom come. That is entirely intentional. Jesus knows what the right order of priorities is. And actually, it's the secret of answered prayer. Now, do you want to have answered prayer in your lives? I think all of us do, don't we? Well, Jesus shares that. If you want answered prayers, well, he says this, I will do whatever you ask in my name. It's not about three words in Jesus' name tagged on the end of our prayers. It's about the lens through which we discern what we need and what we ask for. That's the secret. If you align yourself with what God is seeking to do in the world and to work and bless others, then you start asking for those things. Or you're going to see many, many answered prayers indeed. And the principle is expressed in our passage in the words, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Reduce all this down to three essential principles, and I think we're left with these. First, people matter more than things. Second, what people most need is the kingdom. And third, if we trust in the king and seek first his kingdom, God will give us everything we need. But that everything is quite different, isn't it, to what our secular world, our culture, the people around us assume. Now, they assume it's purely material. Life is about consumerism, and the more we consume, the better. But the truth is, it simply doesn't deliver. Here's a quote that Sophie shared with me this week as we were planning uh, this service as a staff team, and um, I think this is something a friend of hers actually said, and it struck us all. She said this, Surrey is like a seductive coma. You have all the things, but it hasn't changed your life. Now, what is that saying? It's saying that materialism is misdirected intimacy and misdirected worship. 
For it's not worship and intimacy with our Heavenly Father, but instead with our possessions, with our property, and with the status and the trappings that that brings. And they have no ability to satisfy or to save. And instead, they actually trap us, limiting our ability to resource the kingdom for others. You know, for example, I've been talking with lots of people about this topic. And, you know, one person shared with me that there are many couples or individuals out there who are older, who don't downsize despite the advantages, simply because they own too many things and they can't face the hassle of getting rid of some of them. Maybe you recognize that in yourself. And for every age group, there will be different opportunities to actually live more lightly, live more simply, and resource the kingdom in a bigger way. Are we willing to make that choice? And yet, if we don't make that choice, well, we deprive ourselves of an easier and simply life and simple life. We deprive the kingdom of resources. We, divide, divide, we um, deprive ourselves of that sense that actually we're doing what we can do. And I want to challenge us as we move towards the end of the sermon to think about the Ukraine crisis as well and what it might look like to be able to say in a few years' time, I did what I could do. Now add that to the fact that surveys show time and time again, as I'm sure you've heard, that the average person in a poor developing country is actually happier and more contented than the average person in the prosperous West. It's amazing, isn't it? Or think about the quote from John Rockefeller, which I've used before, a man who had so many billions of wealth at the end of the 19th century that he was richer in relative terms, far, far richer than anyone alive today. And he was asked, how much money is enough money? And his answer was, just a little bit more. What is an idol? The Bible talks about idols, doesn't it? And sometimes we assume it's, you know, physical objects that people would dance around or or worship in a very primitive way. But actually, the Bible defines an idol as anything we want more than God. That is, anything that we feel we can't live without. Anything that our dreams and our hopes of the future naturally gravitate around. Whereas a life of true freedom... As Jesus portrays it to us, is seeking first the kingdom, knowing that God will then give us everything we need and indeed the true desires of our heart. And we can simply let go. And sometimes it's that letting go is the place that we just need to get to where we stop worrying about the future financially speaking, materially speaking. And we simply rejoice in the fact that we're aligned with God's will and he will surprise us and bless us in many wonderful ways. Paul put it like this, didn't he? I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It can be done. Do you want that secret of contentment? 
Well, Jesus has given it to us here in this passage. And it's freedom from worry about material things. And that's a freedom God longs for us all. So how can we summarize then this second half of the passage? Well, I would suggest like this. The symptom is worry about our material needs. The antidote is kingdom-centeredness and trust in God's provision. And that provision is not just material. It's emotional, it's spiritual, it's ethical. As we shift our priorities and our desires from our possessions and our lifestyle to him. Now I want to go back to the context with which I began. The challenges and yet also the opportunities that we face. For we know now, don't we, that people matter more than things, as the pandemic has illustrated. We know now that in a battle between good and evil, as we're witnessing in Ukraine right now, we know whose side we must be on. But in the grand scheme of things, both these situations sit within a bigger picture and a bigger battle going on. That between Satan and his kingdom of darkness and our heavenly father and his kingdom of light. So in the light of that, the questions this begs of us are these. Whose side are you on? And are you willing to make the sacrifice and commitment that that choice requires? And the implications of those questions include these. Will you give your life to Jesus if you haven't already? Do talk to me or one of the other leaders of the church afterwards if that's something you're ready to do today. And are you willing to respond generously to the needs and mission of this church as well as the vast humanitarian disaster unfolding before us because of the war in Ukraine? Well, here are things that you can do. They do come and talk to myself or Darren, our ops director, who's just there. You can put your hand up, Darren. If you want to talk about giving to the church um, and you're not doing that at the moment, I really encourage you to do that. Do talk to Sharon and Bill if you want to help with resourcing, uh, helping the refugees from Ukraine in Moldova. I shared in my email on Friday the Sanctuary Foundation that's been set up to help the church to both lobby the government which the government seems to be responding to today uh, with their announcement inviting people to receive refugees into their homes and also helping us as Christians to be at the forefront of the response. And I'll share more over the next couple of weeks about how we as a church can respond and how we as individuals can respond. And I can tell you now, we as a family are seriously considering whether we can receive some refugees if we're allowed to into our home. So that's all to come. But start thinking. Start praying about that now. This is our moment to step up and to be able to model to our children and our grandchildren and our neighbours that we as Christians did what we could do in this moment of crisis. And so we showed that our faith is real, that it truly matters because it's had an impact on the way that we live. Now, as Liz shared, this is a prayers for healing service, and we're going to move into that time now as the band come up. And I've got two ways that we can respond 
to that opportunity as we move into worship and ministry now. And it relates to the two halves of the sermon and the challenge and comfort that Jesus brings. So the first is this. Are you being called to let go? To let go, perhaps, of the consumerist mindset that so infuses our culture and affects us all? Or maybe you're being called to let go of something else that you know is holding you back in your walk with Jesus. Well, if so, we'd love to pray for you that God would set you free. Or maybe you you just need to be healed or prayed for about something else that is really having a negative impact on your life. We'd love to pray for you about that as well. So that's letting go. Now, here's the second thing. Maybe you're going through a real time of challenge in your life at this moment. Some of you will. There always are some in any church at any time. And if so, well, my call is this. Will you cling on to God in these difficult and worrying times? Will you draw close to him and ask him to draw close to you to give you his provision and his peace? So will you let go and will you cling on? As we stand now and move into a time of worship, we've got uh, two or three uh, prayers for healing teams available at the back. So what I'm going to invite us to do is as we sing, anyone who wants prayer for any of those things, letting go or clinging on to God or for healing, or for any other need, just make your way to the back of church and then discreetly uh, we'll be able to pray for you there. So this is a safe place. This is a great opportunity for God to bring that reset, that healing, and that blessing to your life that we all truly need. So shall we stand and let's sing or let's seek that prayer and let's allow God to minister to us now.